The Politics, Politics, Politics program is brought to you by Look in the Mirror. It's you. At least if you're backing the show at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. You want Justin to come back from his vacation? He's going to come back either way, but you really, really should give him a vote of confidence at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. You get bonus episodes on Mondays and Fridays. You get all kinds of great perks. Go support it right now if you haven't already. Raise your pledge if you're supported already at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Enough about that. Let's start the show. Oh, folks, it's your friend Tom Merritt here, ready to give you some more politics, a little bit of politics and a side of politics for one more week, as I have the honor of filling in for Justin Robert Young until he gets back next Monday. And folks, I can't wait for him to get back uh, because I, like you, enjoy not just Justin's commentary, but the story he has weaved for us of the Mueller report. And admit it, we all thought that maybe, just maybe, we'd seen the last of old Bob Mueller. That he might just fade back into his nonpartisan abode. No longer the canvas, the Rorschach test for the hopes of the left or the fears of the right. No, 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 friends. Mr. Mueller is back, baby. The real reason for this presser seems to have been to announce the formal closure. It was about closure. We're finally bringing the country closure of the special counsel office, and his resignation from the Justice Department to return to private life. So he has to say, look, investigation's over. We're closing the office. I'm out. Peace. Going to join Justin on vacation. Y'all have fun. I ain't coming back. Uh, and he pretty much said, like, unless someone makes me, I am not talking to you again. Uh, that, that literally was in there. He, he doesn't believe he wants to, uh, uh, that he will need to talk again. Uh, He says, I do not believe it is appropriate for me to speak further about the investigation or to comment on the actions of the Justice Department or Congress. And it's for that reason I will not be taking questions today as well. Uh, He he says he hasn't been told whether I'll have to testify to Congress, but he'd rather not. He he basically says everything's in the report, folks. Uh, In a public statement, first time since the report was issued, Robert Mueller said a few things. Let's look at them. Emphasized that malign foreign actors were attacking the election system in 2016, and all U.S. citizens should pay attention to that. Malign foreign actors. So this is, uh, you could say, oh, well, this is a, that's a partisan, that's a partisan statement. Well, I mean, no, Uh, it doesn't have to be. If if you believe that any kind of, of attack on the election uh, is a myth, then, then I suppose. But what Robert Mueller is saying is um, the releases of WikiLeaks uh, type things uh, were time to interfere with our election, uh, he says. And at the same time as the grand jury alleged in a separate indictment, a private Russian entity engaged in a social media operation where Russian citizens posed as Americans in order to influence an election, these indictments contain allegations, and we are not commenting on the guilt and innocence of any specific defendant. Every defendant is presumed innocent unless proven guilty. But he does point out that, hey, man, uh, this election, uh, the first volume of the report details numerous efforts emanating from Russia to influence the election. I think what's getting lost in some of these headlines, and maybe rightly so because you only have so many words, 
is uh, if there is a, a, a an undertone message here, it's, folks, it doesn't matter who's guilty or not. That's certainly not for me to decide. But what I could decide is that Russia was interfering with our election. And maybe you should focus on that seems to be what Mueller might have been saying here. He also repeated that his report did not exonerate the president. He said that if his team had been confident, uh, they would have said so, uh, that his team was confident, uh, he, the team was not confident that the president clearly did not commit a crime, they would have said so, uh, but he did say innocent until proven guilty. He said there was insufficient evidence to charge a broader conspiracy. That's the quote that the president has seized on to say, there you go, case closed, insufficient evidence, Innocent until proven guilty. All over. Uh, And sort of alluding to the obstruction of justice charges, uh, he pointed out that the guidelines prevent the indictment of a sitting president. He he basically handed it over to Congress. He's like, if there was obstruction of justice, uh, that wouldn't even be in my purview. I don't get to do that. I don't get to decide that. Uh, So we we didn't make a conclusion on that, but we'll just hand this evidence over to Congress. That's Congress's job to do impeachment. He didn't say anything that specific. But he did say that there are guidelines preventing the indictment of a sitting president. So that's, you know, something he didn't do. He's not allowed to do that. As far as testifying to Congress, he said, the report is his testimony. Those were his words. The report is my testimony. And he would not add information not already in the report, even if he did get called. Uh, explains that under longstanding department policy, a president cannot be charged with a federal crime while he is in office. That is unconstitutional. Even if the charge is kept under seal and hidden from public view, that too is prohibited. A special counsel's office is part of the Department of Justice, and by regulation, it was bound by that department policy. Charging the president with a crime was therefore not an option we would consider. The department's written opinion explaining the policy makes several important points that further informed our handling of the obstruction investigation. Those points are summarized in our report, and I will describe two of them. For you. First, the opinion explicitly permits the investigation of a sitting president because it is important to preserve evidence while memories are fresh and documents are available. Among other things, that evidence could be used if there were co-conspirators who could be charged now. And second, the opinion says that the Constitution requires a process other than the criminal justice system to formally accuse a sitting president of wrongdoing. I mean, he's just saying, look, we gave you all the stuff. <laughs> we didn't exonerate him. We didn't charge him. We didn't find a conspiracy. Obstruction of justice, maybe, maybe not. That's that's up to y'all to look into if you want. We conducted an independent criminal investigation and reported the results to the Attorney General as required by the Department regulations. The Attorney General then concluded that it was appropriate to provide a report to Congress and the American people. At one point in time, I requested that certain portions of the report be released, and the Attorney General preferred to make preferred to make the entire report public all at once, and we appreciate that the Attorney General made that report largely public, and I certainly do not question the Attorney General's good faith in that decision. All right, so as far as whether Attorney General Barr messed with stuff, that's what he says. Like, hey man, that was his call. Uh, I hope and expect this to be the only time that I will speak to you in this manner. I'm making that decision myself. No one has told me whether I can or should testify or speak further about this matter. Any testimony from this office would not go beyond our report. So there you go. That's Robert Mueller coming out. Just leave me alone. Leave Robert alone. He's done his job. Everything he has to say is in the album. Uh, He's not going to tell you what it means. It's up to you to figure it out. Go for it, right? Oh, man. Uh, Yeah, so there you go, folks. 
That is what our dear friend Robert Mueller's last appearance on the stage, or is it? You know he's going to get called, right? He's probably going to get called. Is he going to get called? I don't know. We have talked about how Speaker Pelosi is running around trying to make sure that people don't talk about impeachment. She is one of the people who doesn't think that's how they win. Senator Cory Booker isn't playing along. No, he's the senator. He's not in the House. Fellow Democratic Senators Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren also not in the House. And also all three of them running for president calling for impeachment. Both Warren and Harris say that Miller had delivered an impeachment referral. So all that stuff about him saying, I don't know, obstruction of justice, that's not our job. We don't get to indict a president. Here, it's all up to you. They're like, criminology, he's telling us to look. He's saying he can't, so it's up to us to do it. So the impeachment calls are going to continue. Uh, That is possibly a risky move. When you're in the primary, you have to appeal to the base, right? So the senators, Harris, Booker, and Warren are appealing to their base, saying that you guys love impeachment. All the way out there on the left, you want nothing but impeachment. You AOC uh, supporters, we, we want you in our camp. Impeachment, impeachment, impeachment. However, they would probably pivot should they get the nomination to, well, impeachment maybe down the road. One would expect that if they're playing by the Pelosi book. But if they are not playing by Speaker Pelosi's book, that could be, I don't know, that'd be interesting, right? I mean, the strategy is that uh, it does seem like the Republicans don't mind. I mean, they don't want the president impeached, obviously, but they don't mind the calls for it. Uh, and they think it would probably benefit them. So the, uh, anyway, eh, I don't think I don't think this, this may be the last we hear of Robert Mueller. It doesn't sound like it. Uh, several congressional representatives saying we will hear more from him. We will call him to the Hill. So I wouldn't be so quick to say we've heard the last of Bob. I am looking forward to finding out what he might say, what he might not say <laughs> when he goes up and says it's all in my report. Is he just going to, he'll just go up and cite page numbers. Uh, 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 Mr. Mueller, could you, could you tell us what you found regarding obstruction of justice? Pages 35, 38, 40, (laughs) just, that's all he says. And these impeachment calls are going to continue, folks. That's, that's not going away as much as as Speaker Pelosi would like it to. Hey, uh, you know what's coming back next Monday, along with Justin Robert Young, the free political newsletter. Get in line. Be the first <laughs> to get an email. I mean, you might be. I don't know how that works. It probably goes out in batches. But uh, you you got to get it delivered to your inbox. Not only can you get a bunch of gifts and a bunch of links to political stories delivered to your inbox every day, but... You also get to talk back to Justin. Just reply to that email. And you fight the evil Al Doritos that is trying to put that email in your spam box. At the same time, you can feel good about yourself. So there's nothing to lose. Freepoliticalnewsletter.com. That's, uh, you know I like to, you know I like to uh, take a tour of Europe. Take a tour overseas. India, Japan, China. How about let's go, let's go to Britain. Because, I mean, let's be honest. <coughs> Brexit. Outside of the United States, Brexit is the is the big fun issue out there politically. Uh, back during the Brexit campaign, uh, before the vote, the Leave group, the folks who wanted to get out of the European Union, the folks that won the vote, 
had a message in their advertisements, had a message on the side of a bus titled around Britain that said, we send the EU 350 million pounds a week. Maybe we should give that to the NHS instead. There are some people who claim that's what tilted the very close vote towards leave. People are like, why? Yeah, we, should, we shouldn't be sending money to Europe. We should be keeping it at home. Well, fact checkers seem to agree that the figure did not take into account a discount that the UK gets. So first of all, it wasn't even 350 million to begin with. 350 million was sort of the, the fee on paper. And then what the UK was actually required to give was less than that. It also <clears throat> arguably didn't take into account money spent on the UK public sector by the EU, things like farm subsidies that the, UE, that the UK would have to pay on its own if it's not getting any money back from the EU. And that should count. And then you, you get into the more nebulous arguments about like just the economic b benefits of being part of the EU. And that that's where the levers really can put their foot down like, well, we don't think there are economic benefits. You can get you can get a little more argumentative. But certainly if you count the discount, it wasn't 350 million pounds a week. And with and you should probably account the money that you're getting back that, that goes into your country. So. Why do I bring this up? Well, because during and after the campaign, a member of parliament, former foreign secretary and, uh, and a campaigner for the Conservative Party leadership and therefore Prime Minister Boris Johnson, he repeated this fact a lot, said it in speeches before the vote, said it in speeches after the vote, even after people were saying it wasn't true. Well, he's going to have to answer in court. Thanks to a crowdfunding campaign, Marcus Ball has filed charges against Boris Johnson for misconduct in public office. This one is interesting. <clears throat> the misconduct in public office offense dates back to the 13th century. And we're, we're talking King John, Magna Carta era-ish. I mean, you know, I'm painting centuries in a broad brush there. But it, it goes back a ways. <clears throat> it goes pre-Tudor. And it can only be brought against someone serving in a public office. That could be a prison guard, say, you know, who is beating up prisoners or taking bribes. Could be a, uh, a public servant, like a guard uh, or, or, or some kind of uh, a clerk in a public office. Could be a member of parliament in the conservative party, <clears throat> perhaps. Now, the prosecution must show either negligence in, in their carrying out of their duties, but that that's not what's going on here. The other thing they could try to show, which is what Marcus Ball is going to try to show, that the official in question misconducts themselves to such a degree that it amounts to an abuse of the public's trust in the office holder. So Marcus Ball is saying, hey, public office holder Boris Johnson told people a lie. In, in Marcus Ball's opinion, it was a flat-out lie. Uh, there's evidence that maybe this tilted the election, and that's that's not okay. That is an abuse of his public office. That is misconduct. Johnson's team says this is a stunt. They're saying, "Look, this is this is ridiculous." Uh, it's you can you can make an argument that that you know that 350 million pounds a week figure is accurate. They're not going to say it's misleading, but you could say, "Well, maybe it's misleading, but it's certainly not a lie." On paper, there was that number at some point, right? But District Judge Margot, Margot Coleman summoned Johnson and has said the applicant's case is there is ample evidence that the proposed defendant knew that the statements were false. So it sounds like that's what the trial might turn on, is not 
whether they were misleading or whatnot, but did Boris Johnson know the statements were false and make them anyway? And was that an abuse of the public's trust in him as an officeholder? Probably end up going to be a distraction. It's probably not something that's going to bring down Boris Johnson, but it's certainly not going to help. Uh, you've, I mean, it's no Democratic Party, but you've got a dozen or so people running for the leadership of the Conservative Party, and those people won't be hesitant in some cases to bandy this sort of thing about and say, well, even if the charges are silly, uh, we, we don't want someone who would bring this kind of light uh, to the office by playing fast and loose. Mentioned uh, yesterday in the bonus episode, the EU parliamentary elections, I think they would nicely be described as having resulted in diversification of the European Parliament. You got your nationalists, you got your liberals, you got your greens, they all gained ground. Right, left, and uh, slightly left. The centrists, though, the moderates. Ugh. Bad time to be a moderate. Centrists lost. People want extremes right now, even in Europe. So now, and I, I, I abdicated on, on uh, I abdicated like a king on uh, trying to explain this. I'll, I'll do a little more explanation today. Now the leaders of the EU countries have to figure out how to pick consensus candidates uh, for the president of the EU commission, the president of the European Council. Uh, the European Council is sort of uh, representatives from every nation versus the European Commission, which kind of carries out... I don't even want to say that because I'm sure I'm getting it wrong, but the EU Commission kind of carries out the, the rulings of the parliament. The European Central Bank president, uh, currently Mario Draghi, uh, will, will be replaced, and the EU High Representative for Foreign Affairs. So four candidates that the members of the European Union, the 28 members right now, because remember, the UK is still in it for the moment, have to agree on and and, and then put before parliament and parliament says yay or nay. Usually the way this works is there's a consensus. Usually it's the UK, France, and Germany. This time the UK probably won't be part of that. They And they, they come up with somebody that they think the majority blocks in the parliament will approve. Well, that's going to be harder this time uh, because A, you don't have the large blocks that seem to dominate the parliament. Remember, we've got diversification, so you've got a lot of smaller blocks. Also, France and Germany aren't agreeing. Now, in the past, like I said, the UK would be in on these talks. They're not. So you got the two big countries that usually sort of lead the opinions uh, disagree. Center-right candidate Manfred Weber would normally be the likely heir. He's in the uh, the same block as the outgoing EC president. Uh, he's from that same center-right block. That center-right block lost votes. They're lost members this time. However, French President Emmanuel Macron didn't even mention him when talking about possible candidates. The 28 member states have to reach a consensus and then get the EU Parliament to approve it. And the EU Commission President takes office November 1st. So that gives the EU until autumn to show that it, unlike the UK, can make difficult decisions that nobody agrees on. Mm, you've been calling that kettle black for a while, pot. I don't know. We'll see. My guess is Angela Merkel, the uh, Chancellor of Germany, and Emmanuel Macron uh, figure out something. Whether they can get the EU Parliament on board, I don't have a clue. Maybe not as big a deal as I think, but man, that's, a, that's not a lot of majority in that Parliament right now. 
And the Supreme Court here back in the United States declined to review a lower court decision to overturn an Indiana law restricting when and why an abortion could be performed. This is different than the one I talked about in the bonus episode. That was part of the same one, although a quote that was confusing me now makes sense because it was about this decision. So the Supreme Court declined to review the lower court decision. That lower court had decided to overturn the law that restricted when and why an abortion could be performed. The law would have prohibited abortions if they were performed as a result of the baby's sex, race, or disability. So they said, look, if the reason you're performing this is because you wanted a boy and you got a girl, uh, or, uh, I mean, if, if accidental pregnancy led to uh, a baby that is from a race that you don't want, or it's got a it's got Down syndrome. I mean, this is this is pretty clear that I I think most people will say yeah no you shouldn't that shouldn't be a reason for doing this. But the court said that it's not the government's job to say that. Justice Clarence Thomas wrote, given the potential for abortions to become a tool of eugenic manipulation, the court will soon need to confront the constitutionality of laws like Indiana's. But because further percolation may assist our review of this issue of first impression, I join the court in declining to take up the issue now. That would, The eugenics thing was the thing that was confusing me yesterday because I thought that comment was about a different law regarding the disposal of remains that we talked about on the bonus episode. This makes more sense. He's saying, look, uh, this 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 is akin to eugenics. If you're saying, oh, I'll keep the baby if it's this kind of baby, but not if it's that kind of baby. But it, it sounds like the court says this isn't the right case to decide that on. Uh, and I, I didn't look into this enough, and I'm not a Supreme Court scholar enough <laughs> or at all uh, to be able to tell you what about this case uh, made it. But there, there are all kinds of things it could be. Uh, there could be some other complicating factors in this law that make it less clear uh, and with the Supreme Court not ruling, they're not setting a precedent. They're, 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 and, and that is important. They, <clears throat> they may have talked among themselves and said, well, I'd rule against this if this law was written in a different way. And the justices may decide, you know what, then, then let's wait for that law. Let's wait for that case to come up. Further percolation may assist our review of this issue of first impression. So anyway, that's fun. Uh, and that and that's a good clarification on uh, on what I was uh, talking about yesterday. Oh, folks, it's time for me to give you the right opinions, right? The right opinions are the right opinions. Wrong. <laughs> no, they're not. All right, how about this? The wall can never be built. Wrong. What? The wall can only be built after winning a fight with Congress. There you go. What? Turns out you just need to GoFundMe. We Build the Wall, Inc. was started with $22 million in GoFundMe donations and is building a barrier on land owned by Jeff Allen of Sunland Park, New Mexico, right across from Suidad Juarez, Mexico. Links two 21-mile sections of existing fence that went across his land. Alan says his wife's a Mexican national. His daughter was born in Juarez, but he believes this is about me protecting myself and America having a secure border. Customs and Border Enforcement uh, quick to point out this doesn't have anything to do with us. We have no comment about this. This is a guy building a thing on his own land. You want to know something about it, you talk to him. Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg is happy to help Canada in person. (laughs) Not so much. Not so much. Uh, Zuck and COO Sheryl Sandberg sent other people 
instead of themselves to testify to Canada's parliament. A second standing summons is now out there. That means Canada is on the list of places Mark Zuckerberg probably won't be visiting anytime soon, including the UK. Facebook investor Roger McNamee told the House of Commons Privacy and Ethics Committee, at the end of the day, though, the most effective path to reform would be to shut down the platforms, at least temporarily. Any country can go first. Wink, wink. The platforms have left you no choice. The time has come to call their bluff. I don't think Canada's going to shut down Facebook, but hey, who knows? Uh, not a good look when McNamee brought up the fact that, you know, hey, these other countries like Singapore shut it down sometimes. Those, those usually get uh, opposed by every rights group imaginable. So I'm not guessing that that's really going to win them any points, but maybe it does. I don't know. Maybe it does somewhere in the Canadian Parliament. Well, here's something I'm sure about. As I mentioned earlier, kings are above the law. What? No, not in Belgium. Former Belgian King Albert II has been fighting a paternity claim for more than a decade, and he finally gave in and spit in a cup for a paternity test. I don't know if it was a cup. might have been a test tube. Anyway, he gave a saliva sample. This was after a court ruled that the ex-king, who stepped down in 2013 to let his son take over, should be penalized for not cooperating. I'm like, fine, I'll spit in a cup. Vice President Biden nipped that presidential insult in the bud. No, he didn't. Uh, during a press conference in Tokyo, President Trump said he agreed with North Korea's propaganda arm when it called Vice President Biden a low IQ individual. <laughs> he later defended The president later defended himself like, I was being nice. They called him an idiot. I just said he was an individual. The Biden campaign responded that the president's comments were, quote, beneath the dignity of the office. Here's the thing, though. All the stories I read quoted the Biden campaign that one time. I think uh, included a tweet from his campaign manager. And then the rest of the copy is like 16 tweets from the president, what the president said on stage, all about the president. Leading the reader to almost forget the Biden campaign responded at all. This is how the game is played. And the president knows how to play this game. So he is... He is, uh, I mean, it's too early. It's too early to say if the Biden campaign can't play this game as well, but beneath the dignity of the office. I mean, that's an appropriate response in my opinion, but it's not getting the coverage. It's not getting the ink. And the way the president likes to work is to get all the ink. No such thing as bad press, that kind of thing. All right, one last thing. Everybody who wants to should get to debate. Yeah, we all knew that. ABC and Univision are teaming up on the third Democratic presidential debate to happen September 12th and 13th. Yes, two days, my friends. Each of the three debates will go for two days to give qualifying candidates a chance to have their say. But the third debate has some stricter rules than the first two. First two said you needed 1% of a poll uh, in four or more national polls, and 65,000 unique donors with at least 200 donors per state in a minimum of 20 states. That third debate gets tough. You have to get 2% of a poll in four or more national polls and 130,000 unique donors with 400 donors per state in a minimum of 20 states. So there you go. We got debates coming. More than a year before the... <laughs> For the uh, general election and uh, six six to f three months before the actual primaries begin, we're going to get uh, melee, mass mass storming of the stage from the Democratic primary contenders. This is where the weed out happens, though. That's the way it's been going these days. You have these these big cattle call debates and then, you know, only 12 or 13 survive. <laughs> so many, so many candidates. All right, folks. Uh... Let's see. I can hear the music. 
Genial. 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 I don't know, folks. I don't know where the keys to the club are. We do have these modded Hondas out here, though. And we have some political data science. And we're out in the street. So what say we get into the pole position? This is a Rasmussen report on the direction of the country. The country, the very country. The United States of America. Coming up in second place because there's only two cars in this race. The right direction with 38%. But way out in front with 56% is the wrong track. That is an 18-point lead for the wrong track. Now, that's a Rasmussen poll. If you're like, I don't know, I don't like Rasmussen. Well, the Economist and YouGov did their own poll. Uh, and direction of the country for them was 35% in the right direction, 56% still on the wrong track. So they agreed on the wrong track, had a 21-point spread for the other one. But your emails are here, and here we go to talk about them. M writes, Justin, you left Mr. Tom Merritt out in the cold, and I am furious. He's also probably fast because we're out on the street. M says, you know, it's like $2 to make copies of a key. Lowe's, right? F yeah, pole position. Take that, Mr. J. Robert Young. Hi, Tom. Hi, M. The Merit Revolution begins now. That's right. Take it to the streets, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, M. Ken says, hi, Tom. I don't know if you get these. Hey, Ken, I do. Ken says, I just wanted to say you were great on PX3. I'll thank you. Your poll position segment made me LOL for real. Once again, you showed you're the best explainer in the biz with your Huawei take. Oh, last week's show, we we gave the take. It's my specialty as the host of Daily Tech News Show to, to look at these technology uh, issues. Someone on Twitter actually very much admired that I, I brought up 1,800 trade treaties. I'm glad that was appreciated. Anyway, Ken says, my prediction is Huawei will weather this storm and emerge stronger with their own OS the manufacturing infrastructure to make all the components they require, a strong side hustle supplying components to other companies, and most importantly, providing the 5G backbone to the rest of the world other than the U.S. I think most of the security concerns and this trade war is more about slowing China's enviable rise to global economic dominance than anything else. Biden's claim that China isn't a threat will come back to haunt him once the debate season hits. Also, people don't give Huawei enough credit for the new P30's camera. I'll agree with you on that for sure. That thing is a game changer. Biggest mobile innovation since the retina display. Easy. If Justin is reading this, no, I don't like Tom better than you. Tom's PX3's are different, and there's room in my heart and podcast feed for both of you. Thank you, Ken. Uh, Yeah, P30 camera is great. I'm not sure if the camera is as much of a game changer for people as it used to be, especially when it's a camera that they can't buy in their store. And that's not just in the United States. We're seeing companies, even in Southeast Asia, outside of China, not stocking the Huawei or not taking it back in trade anyway. Jury's still out on that. <laughs> Jury's out until Monday, actually. Um, providing 5G backbone to the rest of the world? Maybe, maybe not. We're seeing even the UK say, not going to use it in the core. Uh, we're seeing a lot of European countries hesitant. We're seeing New Zealand and Australia outright say they won't. So may not provide the 5G backbone to all of the rest of the world. But still, if they can get the parts to build their equipment, that's the big question. Yeah, they could provide Africa, India, et cetera. Uh, supplying components to other companies. Well, if those companies will buy them when the companies can buy parts from U.S.-made or U.S.-backed manufacturers, hard to say. Uh, it would help them 
develop their own OS. Supposedly that's coming in autumn and it would help them uh, build up their manufacturing infrastructure if they can, as they think they can, survive. Finally, John says, I can't wait for you to come back and get on this Pelosi trap. Do you think Trump was trapped by Pelosi? Or is this all part of the if the dawn media blitz? My prediction, nothing is keeping him from re-election unless the stock market tanks. Don't reply. Keep enjoying your vacation. John, I apologize for eavesdropping on your obvious personal communication with Justin. But um, Pelosi trap is one way to look at it. This is the, uh, I assume you're referring to uh, Pelosi coming in to just talk infrastructure, knowing that the president was upset about the investigations and going to make this demand. I mean, I think it works both ways. I think the president knew she was coming and was ready to go to make this accusation about investigations and stop uh, cooperation. I think she knew he was going to do it and was ready with her response. Everybody was ready. It's all political theater. Uh, I don't think it really changes much. I mean, you could say, well, they're not cooperating. They weren't really cooperating before. Uh, this is sort of a lesser lesser stakes version of the debt ceiling. You know the debt ceiling just expired, right? Nobody even paid attention to it because nobody wants to fight that fight. Nobody thinks that this is a better fight for the president to have. So I feel like this is a lesser stakes version of that to some extent. My prediction, nothing is keeping him from re-election unless the stock market tanks, John. Mm, I'm with you halfway through that sentence. I don't even think stock market tank matters. Uh, the economy matters more than the, the, the stock market and perceptions. This is the thing that I have started to to notice. Perceptions, not reality, are what matter. It's not, do I have a job? It's, do I feel confident I will keep my job? Or am I worried that I might lose it? That's where the game seems to be played. Uh, so I don't know if the stock market tanking really matters uh, or not. Well, folks, let me tell you, it has been an absolute pleasure uh, bringing you politics, politics, politics these past two weeks. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it as well. I know that I have missed Justin Robert Young, and I, and I, and I know uh, you all have too. And I'm <clears throat> very much looking forward to being able to listen to this show on my dog walk rather than having just done it and going, eh, I don't want to listen to myself again. Uh, but hey, don't forget to spread the word, politicspoliticspolitics.com for people to see the episodes. And of course, uh, takepoliticsseriously.com if you're not already back in the show. Uh, you get those extra episodes, bonus episodes. In fact, I've got one more of those coming on Friday, the PX3 bonus. Uh, so check that out at takepoliticsseriously.com. Get those emails. Tell Justin what you think. I, I want to know what he thinks. Email theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Music provided by Valesco and Trop Killers. You can follow Justin Robert Young at Justin R. Young. You can follow me at Ace Detect, if you can spell it. A-C-E-D-T-E-C-T. -E -E Download archive episodes of the show at bonerwars.com. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I leave the watch of the country to Justin Robert Young next week. My watch is almost ended. Talk to you next time.
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>